Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, as read for us by Alex, God's gospel, the Father's plan, accomplished through the Son, the work of Jesus Christ, spread through those he sent, our place in his plan, to call all to faith, the fulfillment of his purposes. We exist as a church to touch all people with God's message. A good reminder as we enter into this new year. And this is that message that we seek to touch all people with. God's gospel. Let's go over that again as these verses show us. The Father planned it. The first three verses there. He shares love. Verse 2 says, The gospel He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He has been sharing this for a long time. The Son did it. He extends forgiveness. Found in verse 4. His Son, who as to His earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God, in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. We believe it and find purpose in it. In verse 5, we seek purpose that God gives. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And we obey it and we live in it. Verse 6, we have hope that God offers and you are also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That is a journey. Now, if we study the Bible for its content without it changing our character, what we learn is meaningless. It would be as meaningless as saying that you are on a journey but never moving in any direction. Have you noticed how so much of the Bible is a narrative? It's a story. It's the ultimate story with a moral to be learned. It's the recording of God unfolding a story of people living out His purposes in them. It's about behavior, about relationships, about the character of individuals in the story, about God and His good character, about man showing His not-so-good character, all as a journey, a progression of learning and growing. How a good God can take a not-so-good person, make them good, keep them good, and use them for His own good. Now that last phrase is one way to sum up what the book of Romans is all about. Romans is a book in this great narrative of Scripture that we're going to spend the next six months discovering. It's the single most comprehensive recording of God and His purposes in the entire Bible. It's not a short book, which indicates how involved and complete God's purposes are. Yet, if you want one pretty manageable dose 
of the entire journey, here it is in a single reading. Many outlines have been suggested to help us understand this very complete recording of God's story. A couple of my favorites, one I've just mentioned. A good God who takes a less than good person, makes them good, keeps them good, and uses them for his own good. You can sum up the book of Romans just like that. Or one that I have shared with you repeatedly since coming to this church, that the book of Romans is about, in the first three chapters, sin, which causes us to be bound and slaves, and then salvation, which breaks the bonds of that slavery in chapters 4 and 5, and then sanctification, which begins to put us on the road of this journey that God intends for us to walk, chapters 6, 7, and 8. And then our, our eyes can be lifted high enough to see God in all of His sovereignty. So from sin, we move to salvation and into this process of sanctification so that we can finally see God in all of His sovereignty for as much as we can understand it. And then in chapters 12 through the end of the book, it's about serving Him and finally being able to do what He intended for us to do. Excellent outline in the book of Romans. Hard for me not to use that one because I like it so much. But I'm choosing a journey this time because it leads to so much more than simply knowledge, simply understanding the plan that's been unfolded. It calls us to see God's character, His good character, and our not-so-good character, and it helps us understand how God is unfolding a story and how His people are to be living it out and moving into it and all of His purposes for them. And it calls us to enter into movement and change and a progression towards a destination because we have a problem. You see, with God there's no dichotomy between understanding and doing. It's we that have created that. All he knows and consists of, he does. So he shares love because he is love. He extends forgiveness because he is a God of compassion. He gives purpose because everything he is has meaning. He offers hope because He promises and He keeps all of His promises. Now, we, on the other hand, may understand and may know things, but we may and mostly may not actually act on those things. And that's the difference between content, knowing, and character, living the difference between knowing and actually doing. So, besides understanding the big picture of the journey through Romans, which I want us to kind of get a glimpse of today, this is the truth that I want you to get, besides this big picture, which I'll show you in a minute. But besides that, this is the big truth I want you to get today. We may be in the greatest danger of living 
this dichotomy of understanding and knowing and not doing. We may be in the greatest danger of living in this dichotomy than anyone or anywhere else in the entire world. Now, why do I say that? Because in journey language, we like it here when God wants us to be there. Life is a journey from where we are to where God wants us to be. The fact is, we find ourselves a long way from where God wants us to be, and He wants us on a journey with Him back to where He first intended. But we're not sure we want to do that because we like it here when God actually wants us there. The letter to the church in Rome, or the book of Romans, is that journey explained from here to there. And we may be in the greatest danger of not making that journey than anyone else in the world. Now, let me show you this in the very first verses of Romans, and then we'll return to our important truth, and I think we'll understand it better and why I say that. So, going back to the first few verses here, let's see this big picture. The Father planned it. He shares love. He says right out that right off the bat, Paul says that he is a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand, the plan that he had in mind to get us back to where we belong, that he, through the prophets, has shared over and over again through the scriptures. His plan is the gospel of God. This is God's gospel. Now listen carefully. Not merely the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we so often call it. Nothing really wrong with that except that it's incomplete. This is God's gospel. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It isn't just the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was accomplished through Him. We find our new life and identity in Him without Him It wasn't accomplished, but it isn't just about Jesus Christ. It is about God as a whole. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that God leads with love. First thing, God plans on fixing everything. God leads with love. Jesus is the answer, but God is our all-inclusive hope. And this gospel is defining in our belief. It's what defines us in our unity in a world of division. It should define our behavior in a world of contradiction. We want to start where God starts, with love, or don't bother, because you'll do more harm than good. He uses promises and people and His Scripture to tell us time and time again that He loves us and He wants us to return to His good intentions. Now here's the implication of this first truth, that the Father planned it, this this gospel comes from God, first loving. First of all, first implication, when you own something, you get to decide what is done with it. God decides to share His love. Now, you may not think that some deserve to receive the sharing of God's love. 
you may not think that you deserve to receive God's shared love. But neither of those are a decision that you get to make. God shares love, period. And this sharing love will be the remedy for the problem that we must face as described in the first three chapters. So we're going to start looking at that. The first three chapters describe how very unacceptable here is. And God's remedy for that is not judgment as much as it is the sharing of his love to those who find themselves in that horrible here. Then the son did it. Verse 4, he extends forgiveness. His son, who through as his who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This Son did it. Historically verifiable. He is human and real. He's a descendant of David. It was divinely accomplished. He is God and true in the spirit of holiness and the resurrection from the dead. Perfectly fulfilled, actually completed, conquering death. The consequence for what we did as we sinned against him. He as a person is fully divine and human and worthy of honor and dominion, power and authority. He is Lord, God all, capital letters. And he chooses to forgive those who will accept what he's done. Here's the second implication of this second truth. When you accomplish something, you carry the privilege of authority over it. Accomplishing forgiveness, he has every authority to extend that forgiveness. And this forgiveness extending will be the solution for our need that we must accept as laid out in chapters 4, 5, and 6. So what we must face in our problem, the remedy is his shared love. What we must accept in chapters 4 through 6 is his extended forgiveness. Then, We believe it and we find purpose in it. In verse 5, we seek purpose that God gives. God gives purpose. Through Him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for His name's sake. Our identity is found in our advocate Jesus Christ. Through Him we received this grace. But more than just grace and salvation, we now have a calling. We are instruments of the living God for His purposes in sharing that love for His name's sake and His purposes overall. And this puts our goals in life into a whole new light. This may make the American dream a potential nightmare. Because this makes a faith journey ours into His desires, not ours. And this is part of why we're still here, because we haven't gotten it yet. Here's the implication of this truth. When you belong to another, your behavior is shaped and changed by that authority. This purpose-seeking will be the pursuit that we must enter into in response to His shared love as the remedy to our problem, and our accepting His forgiveness entering into life with Him so that we may then discover the purposes that He has for us as described in chapter 7 through the end of the book. 
And then finally, we obey it and live it in the light of all that He's done. We have hope that God offers. And you also are among the Gentiles, verse 6 says, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The The plan is as personal as it is big. Your inadequacy, if you are feeling insecure, is no longer an issue because you belong to Him. Your inadequacy, if you are arrogant, is a reality you need to accept because you belong to Him. This journey is redefining in every way imaginable, and that is seen in obedient response and actual living. Here's the implication of this truth. When you have it all, when you have hope, you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to prove, and you have nothing to lose. Because you live in the reality of someone who has changed your identity. This hopeful living we can know and experience is the result of all of the previous I've described and is woven throughout the book of Romans. Hope shows up everywhere because it's a result of all that he's done. Phew, that's a lot. I just preached the book of Romans to you in about seven minutes. We can't absorb all of that. That's why we're going to take the next six months. Now, did you get the title? That is a journey. Now back to my main point. Here is the biggest danger. Why even go? Why bother? That sounds like a lot of change, doesn't it? That sounds like a lot of reworking of our thinking and our behavior. Let me explain why I think this is such a great danger. I have two invitations that I've received over the last months. One of them came about, I don't know, three, four months ago. I have a pastor friend who's just like me. He used to be a missionary with my same organization, team, in the Philippines. We knew each other, joined the organization at the same time. And then we both ended up back here in the States pastoring evangelical free churches. Interesting. Who could have ever predicted? Never would have been able to predict that. He likes to ride a bike. He's also uh, he's a biker, but he's much more serious than I am. He rides about 3,500 miles a year. And I admire him for that. I mean, I, I don't know where he gets the time. But anyway, he rides a lot. So he's decided, because he's been at this church for 10 years... They gave him a sabbatical. He has 60 days. He's going to ride his bike across America in 60 days. That's about 54 miles a day. He invited me to come. He invited anybody to come. He's just looking for somebody to go with him, right? So you can join him if you want to, and if you're interested, I'll give you his name. He'd love to have you join him. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Take 60 days to ride across America? I just saw somebody back there. They said, no. Why bother? I mean, if you're kind of partial to that kind of thing, go right ahead. 
I have no interest. Why bother? I have another invitation. It just came a couple weeks ago. Actually, just uh, what I hear, just before Christmas, Scott Mulligan has a friend who's going to ride across America in 10 days. Yeah, now how are you going to do that? Well, he wants to get a team together and ride 24-7 for 10 days. So you join the team and, and you ride, you know, 40, 50 miles at a time as fast as you possibly can. And then the next person gets, uh, you know, on the bike and does the same thing. And you just go 24-7, you know, and you got RVs to sleep in or whatever. Interesting, isn't it? Why bother? It's a curiosity item. It's a personal goal. It's a challenge. It's a bragging point for somebody who wants to prove something. And you know what? We treat the Christian journey like that. There's no real need. It's a curiosity item. You want to grow spiritually? You want to become some amazing saint for God? You want to save the world through Him? God bless you. But I'm not interested. There's no real need. This kind of journey that Paul's describing here is, isn't it an extracurricular activity? You don't really have to do this, do you? This is for the, the Christian Rangers or SEALs or Delta Force, right? In journey language, we like it here when God wants us there. Life is meant to be a journey from where we are to where God wants us to be. And we find ourselves a long way from where God wants us. And He wants us, together with Him, to journey back to where He first intended. God's journey is not an extracurricular activity. Do you see the danger? This is not optional. Let me put it into another visual image. I think that this spiritual journey is better represented as a pilgrimage of a refugee rather than some adventure of a thrill-seeker. This journey is more like waking up one day to the inescapable reality that your home, your business, all of your worldly identity, possessions, hope, and provision have been blown to pieces. And your only hope is to start a journey to some place better than this. Until we understand that where we are is completely unacceptable, you will not, because I know your hearts, they're just like mine, you won't make any move towards where God wants you to be. What we have to understand is that here is not it. This is not where God means for us to be. And the first three chapters of Romans is going to show us that in graphic detail. Here's your proof. It's found in verse 7. 
to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this verse with me. Verse 7. God loves you. Loved by God. Don't miss it. God leads with love. To all of you, loved by God, get it. He shares love. He starts with love. He starts there first. But what does he then do? He calls us to be his holy people. What does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? It means that you stand out. It means to be set apart. It means to be something else. It means to be someone else. It means to get somewhere else then he says grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace he did it a lot for some very significant reasons and peace he will give you all that you need on that journey this is the New Testament parallel to shalom the Hebrew concept of not just tranquility but of wholeness well-being in every sense of the world of the word he's going to give you everything that you need and he is going to help you become all that he wants you to be as his holy people different than what you were on a journey to what he wants you to become we're on a pilgrimage more like refugees than any kind of thrill seeker we need to wake up to the reality that all that we seek to hold on to and we define in ourselves and our things in our business and in our identity and in our employment and in our accomplishments have been blown to pieces and our only hope is to step into a journey to some place better than this It's not optional. Why even go? Because here is not it. This is not God's intention. Now, we're going to look at all the reasons for that as we study this book and as we continue next week. But I think for right now, we better stop and seek some grace that He provides and some peace that we need to step out into this journey or to continue on this journey. And this table is a good place to stop and seek what we need in order to make this journey and not just talk about it. Let's pray. Thank you for being good and leading with love, but calling us to so much more than what we are or where we are to be your holy people thank you for the work of Jesus Christ that we are about to celebrate that reminds us of who we are in you that our destiny is sure that our identity is in you but forgive us, Lord, for making so much of who we are about where we are. And would you 
faithfully work in our hearts and our minds and in our behavior to move us from here into all of what there means that you have in store, that you mean to accomplish, that you want to give us in fulfilling your purposes and filling us with hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.